Good day, good afternoon, good whenever it is you are listening to this. Thank you very much for listening to this. You are checking out yet another Woken Baked. My guest today is uh, Leif Abel, who, as it turns out, is not the CEO of Greatland Ganja. That title goes to someone else completely, however, very close to Leif. All right, that being said, Leif was one of our first guests on the podcast. He was one of the very first people that I spoke to. And during that conversation, Leaf kind of alluded to some DEA raids that he was a witness to when he was a young man. And I didn't ask him about that. So I really wanted to ask him about that because I wanted to get those stories. And in this podcast, he breaks that down. He explains how it went down repeatedly, what steps were taken, and everything that goes on with that. So, Leaf, thank you very much for sharing this, uh, your story. Uh, thank you very much for sharing your time. Nick, thank you very much for making this happen. Now, a little bit uh, little bit of what's going on in this podcast. We recorded this in Greatland Ganja's off-site break room because they can't have one on-site on their actual physical property. It's against the rules, and you got to follow the rules because the rules are rules. That being said, their break room was essentially an off-site trailer with a heater in it. Now, in order to record the podcast and make anything audible, we had to turn the heater off. So, at the very beginning of the podcast, you'll get a taste of the heater and how loud it would have been if we had kept it on. So that you can appreciate the sacrifices that we made to record this podcast. So for those of you that do not know, we are recording out of uh, South Central Alaska, um, which is really, really cool. I like... um, I like being here. It's very cool. I enjoy it. That being said, it is March, and it is cold as balls. It was like 17 below inside of this trailer. I have no idea how cold. It was just fucking cold. Really cold. And at some point, I think maybe in the shivering or something, the microphone unplugged from the the computer, right? So lost a little bit of conversation. So up front to Leaf Abel. Very sorry about that, but I think I got most of the really good stuff. That being said, I'm very excited to share the very good stuff uh, with this with you fine folks in this podcast. Also, time-sensitive stuff. Uh, we are recording this. I'm recording this on Friday, this intro. Uh, this podcast was recorded on Wednesday. I apologize for posting it up late. And this evening from 6 to 9 at AK Fireweed in downtown Anchorage, Team Zappa, Monica Zappa, and her Iditarod race crew will be down at AK Fireweed for a meet and greet uh, with the fine folks uh, from Great Lane Ganja. So if you're down there, if you make it out there, say hi to Nick. Don't don't give him a hug. He's real paranoid about the coronavirus, although I told him, you know, we all, we all more or less deserve like whatever shitty death comes with the coronavirus. Like if you shit yourself to death, most of us probably deserve to shit ourselves to death if we're honest about who we are. All right, enough about that. Um, going back to Monica Zappa, Team Zappa, AK Fireweed, downtown Anchorage, Alaska, 6 to 9. I predict that she will finish in Nome in, on Thursday. I think she'll win. I think she'll take it all. I think that uh, everyone in the Iditarod is overlooking her. I've I'm not 100% sure of anyone else that is involved in the Iditarod, but I know her name, and so I'm going with Team Zappa. There you go. If you can bet on such a thing, and I'm sure you can. I'm sure there's a website out there that you can just plug your credit card in, and you can make a bet, and you can bet on the Iditarod. If I were you, I would bet my house 
on Monica Zappa. No pressure on Monica Zappa. I don't want, you know, like, I don't want her to worry about making you and your kids homeless because you decided to take my terrible advice. That being said, you take it, you take it, you go with it. All right, um, coming up very, very soon, I got to uh, make a quick apology to Jay Reader. Jay Reader is a rapper out of Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, he's got a really, really good album out right now. You can look him up on YouTube and you can check his uh, check out his video. Uh, it ain't in me, it's on me. I'll, I'll try and post a link in the description as soon as possible. That being said, he is opening up for Ja Rule next week. And if you've never been to a Ja Rule concert, and, and I've never been to a Ja Rule concert, I can tell you there are like five opening acts. And tickets for this aren't very expensive. And this is an opportunity for local rappers out of Anchorage and Fairbanks, uh, and maybe one day soon from the Kenai, uh, to really show off what they do on a much grander scale. All right, I'm pretty excited about it, uh, if for no other reason than to see what local artists are performing and what their music is like, because we have a really, really fresh rap scene here in Alaska. Look up Alaska Red, look up Jay Reader, um, look up Tay Tarantino, look up Duckman, uh, look up guys like Josh Boots, uh, you know, Skatey P. There's just a long, long list. Joke of the Bill Bondsman, so many uh, cats you can look up. Stevie the Blessed, super dope. Fat Trophy Wife, so many fine, fine, super dope MCs and producers. Shout out DJ Allegiance. All right, um, and Raw Beats, cannot forget Raw Beats. All right, but going back to the important stuff, uh, Amory's song Mala came out, is coming out, I guess, later tonight. Um, it's called Make America Love Again. Hopefully, I'll get a chance to talk to her and we can talk about that song and all that good stuff. All right, coming up on Wednesday, March 11th, AFC 158. Uh, in we're going to be there. Uh, shout out to all of our new listeners. Found out that we've got a new listener in Sofia, Bulgaria. That's awesome. I love Bulgaria. It's a country of like really, really beautiful uh, women and tough dudes, like scary dudes and beautiful women. It's really cool and really interesting history. All right. So if I show up on the 11th uh, for the fights for AFC 158, look forward to meeting some of you fine folks out there. All right. Now moving on to our supporters. Dun, da, 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 da. Iron Asylum, located at 35165 KB Drive in lovely Soldatna. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook, as well as their website, theironasylumgymak.com. They carry Redcon 1 supplements, and they carry body armor. If you are looking for a super-duper dope product, I don't know, I've never tried body armor. Maybe I have. I think I've had body armor once. Not terrible. Uh, but they also carry body armor and rain, and they've got a couple of bangs left, but they've got Redcon 1 supplements. If you've not tried Total War, I recommend it. It is a badass supplement. All right, it's a, it's a pre-workout, and it's a really strong pre-workout. Some of them taste better than others, but a very wise man once said to me that if you are taking a pre-workout for the taste, you are an asshole. All right, speaking of not assholes, Red Run Cannabis Company, located on the Kenai Spur Highway, they are the makers of fine concentrates as well as Hashade, the most popular and most delicious edible in the state of Alaska. But it's not an edible, it's a drinkable. So there's a little bit of a difference. There aren't too many of those around, and so when you get your hands on one, you continue to keep your hands on it. All right, they include, pro they carry products, flowers specifically from your favorite cultivators, including Bob's Morning Bear, Warner Brothers, Great Land Gancha, as well as many, many more, including their own flower. 
All right, and Tundra James, the Ninja OG out there. I highly recommend that one. It's a dope one. All right, they also carry edibles from Lady Grey, fireweed extracts, uh, creative confections, and many, many more. Check out their web, uh, their website as well as Weed Maps. That website is redruncannabiscompany.com for more information if you have any questions or anything like that. Also, 5150 Vapes, located in the heart of Soldatna. They are your home for flavored nicotine juices, mods, shatter batter, and your exclusive home for woke and baked merchandise. All right, my guest today, da, 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 Leaf Abel, owner, operator of Greatland Ganja. For more information on them, be sure to check out the Greatland Good Life. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them, I'm sure you can find them on Facebook as well. I don't know, a lot of them are going away from Facebook. So with that being said, I'm, I'm okay with that. Instagram, I like Instagram. I'm going away from Facebook. It's kind of a pain in the ass. I don't really like dealing with it. Um, and I really don't like the dumpster fire that it is. But I do like Instagram because people tend to argue less, or at least where I go, they, they tend to argue less. Um, it's like pretty pictures and MMA fighters and jujitsu stuff and skateboards. It's stuff. It's a whole, it's shit. It's like it's a feed of shit that I like and rappers. All right. Also, uh, Schnitzel Bomber, located on the corner of K Beach and Poppy, rated five out of five on Facebook. I couldn't tell you what this week's special is, but I gave them $10 today, and they gave me a really cool schnitzel sandwich with all of this really dope uh, fermented stuff on top of it, including carrots and pickles and some fresh tomatoes. It was delicious. I highly recommend it. If you are a fan of comfort food, and many of you should probably be comforted more. Some of you should have, should have been comforted more as children. Some of you should have been comforted less as children. Um, that being said, if you like comfort food, the Schnitzel Bomber is your place to go. That is the corner of K Beach and Poppy. All right, again, AlaskaHipHop.com is live, and Bun B will be in Anchorage, uh, providing providing that the coronavirus doesn't kill everybody, on the 28th of March at Coots. Now, if you are interested in that, hit me up. Let me know if you want to go, and I might be able to score you some super-duper sweet-ass tickets, or you can buy them online. You could probably go buy them online. That's cool, too. Uh, for more uh, information on anything, anything that I've talked about today, uh, be sure to check out the show notes. All right. Ladies, uh, gents. C 306.360 Alaska Marijuana Control Board Cannabis Use Warning A. Marijuana has intoxicating effects and may be habit forming and addictive. B. Marijuana impairs concentration, coordination, and judgment. Do not operate a vehicle or machinery under its influence. C. There are health risks associated with consumption of marijuana. D. For use by adults 21 and older, keep out of the reach of children. And E. Marijuana should not be used by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding. Red Run Cannabis Company, license 3A10056. Red Run Cannabis Cultivators, license 4A10052. Red Run Cannabis Cultivators, license 5A19372. 
5455 Kenai Spur Highway, 12156 Kenai Spur Highway, Kenai, Alaska, 99611. Those taste really good. Oh yeah, this one's got a buttery flavor. And this, of course, is just pineapple all over the place because it's the terp sauce. Alright. So who am I joined by? Lee Fable, CEO, owner, operator, the dude. <laughs> yeah. The Great Land Ganja. In, um, and in, Nick, whose last name I've never been able to pronounce. Rium. That's not Raumi. hard. Raumi. <laughs> I'm going with Raumi. General manager of Great Land. Yeah, uh, Art and I um, own and operate Greatland together. My brother's actually the uh, president. Um, some people might not know that, but uh, he's actually a lead cultivator and president. Um, as, as much as uh, we both do um, different things in the company, um, I mean, after all, we all, we all, after all, we are cultivation. That's what we do, right? Yeah. Um, we, grow, we grow plants. That's more important than anything. So it makes sense that the master cultivator of an outfit would be the president. Um, but we have, you know, it's a... It's an LLC, right? So it's a it's a management. It's a uh, basically a member managed LLC. So, so was it uh, was there any discussion like who was going to get the cool titles? Um, like you get to be president and you get to be the czar. We got as quickly through that as we could. That was pretty low on the on what matters. You have to. You literally, it's a legal obligation to choose those things when you create an entity. <laughs> but uh, that that wasn't the main goal. No, I mean. Uh, what well, well, the goal is to create good product um, um, for Alaskans and to make a decent living for your family, and um, to um, uh, make sure you're, that your, uh, your your people, your tribe, your team is making a good living as well. Um, so those are the main goals. Um, obviously, we do our best to um, cross our T's and dot our I's and do all the paperwork, and, and we don't we're not flippant about it or anything. But no, uh, we don't care too much for the titles <laughs> on that part of it. It's more about what you can do, the title of what you can do, um, you, what you'd call that. Uh, um, it's very much, uh, where, <clears throat> anytime you have to produce something real, it's all about, um, you know, actually being able to do the thing is what we say, you know. It's not very much about talk, you actually have to be able to do it. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> Whatever your job title is around here, <laughs> or many job titles. Yeah, right? no, there's more than one. <laughs> Well, let, let's talk about some other things that you, you guys have been growing and, and going and, and the support that you've given to to the greater community. Let's, up front, we've got Team Zappa running the Iditarod this year. Um, how'd you guys... Yeah, yeah, Monica Zappa. How did you guys get involved with that? Well, she's really good friends with our weed librarian, Mel. Saw her when you came through just a little bit ago. Yeah. She's, uh, Mel's actually a dog musher. She's run the Iditarod before. Really? Yeah. Uh, and um, finished the Iditarod before. And um, Monica Zapp and her are really good friends, and they, they brought it to us. And Art and Leaf said, that's a great idea. That's a real Alaskan family thing, because that's what we try to represent is, is the family side of you know what it is, what we do, because we're all families here. Yeah. I think it's important for a business to, you know, one of the ways that a business conveys um, who they are and what their culture is uh, to, to, to the sort of retailers and consuming public is um, through what they sponsor and who they sponsor, you know. And so, I mean, we, we sponsor a wide variety um, because we are an eclectic group and we do have a wide variety of tastes, but at our core, we're, core, we're you know, a, a true Alaskan family-oriented business and there's not much more true Alaskan than dog mushing, um, you know. I, 
music festivals we sponsor. Mm -hmm. We're going to be sponsoring um, what Trapper Creek. Trapper Creek Bluegrass Festival will be out there, and uh, we're we're working with uh, Boot on that. It's going to be great. He's such an awesome uh, Alaskan. You know, it kind of fits with what we what it is what we do, and um, the Before You Die Comedy Fest with Cass. <coughs> we're doing that this year. Alaska and Red. Alaska, Alaska Red. Alaska Red and Matt Angler. Alaska Red. That's yep. that's that's yep. the, um, the the concert tour. Concert. So you know, it's a it's a variety. It's definitely a variety, but um, that's there's a lot of variety of um, tastes and folks in Alaska. So we like to make sure that we um, represent those different uh, different groups and and um, but I mean, yeah, Monica Zappa running the Iditarod. I mean. Doesn't get much better than that. I think mm. that's one of our favorite uh, uh, sponsorships to date so far. There's not a whole lot more Alaskan than the Iditarod. Like it's so. Uh, without going into too much uh, into the politics, those of you at home, you may or may not be aware, Alaska Airlines has pulled its sponsorship of the Iditarod. Um, so I think it's really cool that the that companies like Greatland Ganja are picking up the mantle and they're saying, you know, like we're we're doing this. This is Alaska, and this is what we're about. Um, it, it's pretty historical. I don't I don't know of too many, uh, at least certainly not in, in cannabis that are out there sponsoring Iditarod teams and sponsoring rap tours at the same time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I, uh, I actually I don't know. I'm hesitant to. To, to say, oh, first, first, first. I mean, whatever, what does it matter, right? Like, whether you're first or not, as long as you're pushing the envelope, trying to make positive change, you know, um, I couldn't tell you if there's somebody else out there that's a prime sponsor of an Iditarod Musher that holds a cannabis license and is using that as the prime sponsorship. I don't, I don't really know that for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, not that I'm aware of, but um, yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, the Musher, uh, Monica Zappa, she brought it to us, so it being her idea is pretty exciting. She was excited to do it from... Um, you know, a slightly activist perspective, you know, and I, and I can get in line with that because, you know, I've been working at this from an activist perspective a lot of my life. <clears throat> um, and, and so I understand combining, you know, what you love to do in activism. Um, so that lines up real well with us. And, um, you know, uh, I think that, you know, being able to do something for multiple reasons, one, because it's what you love, and then two, because you're trying to make positive change, you know, that's pretty fortunate. Um, and I think that she recognizes that, and we do too. So it's a good partnership. It'll be fun to see what happens. Um, Chevelle, our creative director, who's uh, friends with Monica, and then um, my brother, um, uh, lead cultivator for Greatland, they're, um, Arthur, they're both going up to Nome for the finish. So that should be good fun as well. And um, everybody will have an opportunity to uh, go and see Monica here at Alaska Fireweed on Friday at uh, six. Yep, this yep. coming Friday at six. So March sixth at sixth as the sixth. Correct. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. It'll Alaska be fun. Fireweed downtown yeah. Anchorage. Yeah, Monica's going to have one of her sled dogs there. There's going to be, be some uh, snacks. This could and... be a puppy, I think. Okay, so she's at one point. I don't know if it was one of her racing dogs. She had a dog named Dweezil. Oh, is that her lead? I, I don't know if that was her lead or her personal dog. I just thought it was cool that she had a she her she's Monica Zappa and she's got a dog. Now this is going to be one of the young ones, I think, from what I hear. But uh, one of the young dogs. But um, yeah, uh, uh, no, it'll be fun. I think it'll be a fun time. She's excited to do it. Alaska Firewood's going to be happy to have us there, and um, hopefully we'll get to um, meet some um, consumers and some Iditarod fans. And then uh, up there, in Nome. She's going to be at Nome Grown. Um, at the end of the Iditarod. No grown um, organics. We don't have a date on that yet, but we're already getting it all together. It's going to be great. Great Langanja is going to be there. 
Yeah, we're hoping for a Friday or a Saturday, maybe. We'll see. I mean, maybe even Thursday. Like, just a real, just a real, it's a, it's a walk in the park, it's a breeze, yeah. Turns out everyone's real excited to be there. The dogs just want to get to know. Just, just yeah. real quick, yeah. real quick. Yeah, no, I mean, Monica's going to blow them out of the dust. She's just going to cream them all, I'm sure. Um, at the very least, she'll have a good time. She assures me that she won't win, but I'm rooting for her all the way. <laughs> and that's really the, the the thing. Like that's something that's really, really hard. And she's she's doing it because she wants to do it. It's just that's something something awesome about that. Mm-hmm. That's that's really like you don't do that for the money. You know, like there's not. I don't think that there are a whole lot of you know multi billionaire mm-hmm. uh, multi billion brands that that started off with like dog mushing. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's rough. I mean, and it hasn't gotten any easier as you pointed out with um, Alaska Airlines dropping the sponsorship. I mean. Um, they, there's not a lot of money in it for them. They get enough money to get home, pretty much. And <laughs> they did rod mushers too. And even the ones who win, I mean, what you get, um, you know, certainly not what you would, you know, hope to make working at a, a good job all year round. And so it's definitely not like, uh, you know, it's big money. It's definitely something they all love to do. Um, and it's pretty, you know, it's kind of high profile here in Alaska, but. That's kind of like what we do. We yeah. high profile, but we're not making a bunch of money doing it either. Yeah. I guess then I see why we get along with Monica so well. <laughs> well, if you're doing something because you enjoy doing it, then then why wouldn't you enjoy hanging out with people that are into different shit? Um, I want to say thank you uh, very much. I think you were you were my very first podcast, my very first. Oh, we were yeah, just talking cool. about um, that today, actually. And uh, and that meant a lot to me. But you told a story on there, and and I want to to apologize. I didn't give you like a list of questions or topics. <laughs> But one of the stories that um, you you kind of touched on a little bit was, um, and and I could be screwing this up. Uh, you were a little boy. I guess there was a DEA raid on like your family's farm. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. No, it was. Um, Are so, you okay talking about that? Oh yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it's part of the story. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I I do what I do and. Um, some people laugh when I tell them I think my kids are less likely to be invaded by um, federal and state authorities than I was when I was a kid. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they are just as likely, possibly for other reasons nowadays. But, um, you know, I did have that happen multiple times. And, you know, it's a sort of, uh, it gives you a sort of outlook on life. Um, but it also uh, gives you a sort of metal and a hardness that makes you... Um, you know, decide that if you want to make some change that um, you know that you're going to have to work hard and that you can put up with all sorts of things. Because if, you know, if you've lived through uh, certain things in life, you get a little tougher. And uh, that, that was one of those things. I mean, I suppose some people it could turn you against society. But I think one of the things that I took from it was that you can probably cause more change from within than from without. Um, you know, living out there in the bush, growing up the way I did, was a wonderful way to grow up. Great great way for a couple of brothers to um, grow up, learn farming. Um, I should have turned that off before I got started. Um, and uh, hunting and fishing and all that, but uh, it, it's not a way, great way to affect societal change or to run a business or be, um, you know, part of, part of a community. It's a little bit hermited out there on the Yukon, you know. <laughs> a lot of fun, like I said, but, uh, but growing up that way probably equipped uh, my family and my brother and I to do what we're doing, right? If we didn't have that experience and that background, we wouldn't be where we are. You know, our dad, uh, Seymour, Robert Seymour Abel, great, uh, great farmer, taught us a lot of what we know, uh, along with our mom, uh, Jan, taught us a lot as well. Um, she was one of the ones that probably made it so that I can sort of jump through the hoops. Um, you know, she taught me politeness and um, paperwork, and she was the one that homeschooled us on a lot of, on the, you know, the, the book work and 
um, handwriting and all the stuff, math, all the stuff that matters when you, you want to go to apply to the state of Alaska <laughs> or uh, try to speak articulately in front of um, the state or, or the uh, borough assembly in order to argue that you should have a license and pay taxes instead of remain in the shadows. Um, so the two of them prepared us for what we did and are, are doing. Um, but yeah, as far as getting raided, I mean, it's a story that um, tons of people have and a lot of people had their parents taken away. We were fortunate, you know. Uh, the it happened three times and after that they stopped because if they don't really get you with any charges you can kind of get them real bad for harassment after three times and so it started it started with a state trooper sergeant who came into Eagle he had his name was Sergeant Tanner uh, he turned out to be not such a good fella he got put in jail later in his old age for some pretty nasty stuff but at this point nobody knew about that so he was a Sergeant Tanner and the state troopers came in and uh, he had heard about maybe some people doing some, you know, pot growing and possibly not following some rules in Interior Alaska on the Yukon. Figured he was going to come in and change that, so he called a town meeting at the uh, Eagle Library, and everybody showed up. All all 150, you know, residents of the area or whatever. Probably over half of them showed up. People were pretty, you know, probably middle of winter. Nobody wanted to miss it. They wanted to know what the trooper sergeant had to say, and he told them he was all revoking their Miranda rights. I'm, I'm not sure if I ever heard anybody else say that before. I don't I've never heard of that. I don't. I don't think it's a thing. I don't think it exists. Not um, anymore. And he was basically declaring martial law, and uh, so <laughs> so this old uh, this old pot growing miner gambling fella Al Wiggins and my um, father, who probably was thought of by the community as a hippie, I would guess. Uh, although I think that that definition doesn't quite fit who he was. He was also a trapper and a, a kelp diver and a cabinet maker. and just uh, he's a, He is a very eclectic fellow. Um, they stood up and um, basically told Sergeant Tanner that he was full of it. And, and they probably weren't extremely diplomatic about it, I would say that. Uh, and it started a war. So, you know, for the next 15 years, my family dealt with a sergeant that had it against our family. And um, that kind of precipitated in various raids that didn't ever amount to anything, um, but taught us a lot, I suppose. Taught us a lot about society, hiding what you're doing, being quick, working together. <laughs> uh, it turns out, you, you know, it's hard to get into interior Alaska with a helicopter. You have to refuel it at certain points, and that's just all there is to it. And you actually have to plan that ahead of the time if you want the fuel and the people be, to be there to refuel the helicopter. So, so Sergeant Tanner didn't think all of this through. I, he didn't, no, he, he, didn't, uh, he didn't think about the snowball when he was rolling it. He just didn't, they just didn't have it. You know, those guys were so scared once they got out there. Um, they stepped out of the helicopter and they're out of their element, right? They're picturing, I mean, we're lucky somebody didn't get shot. I mean, they're jumping out of their helicopter all gung-ho. To them, they're in a freaking Colombian jungle. They've been told that it's this big underground. They probably expected to see tents of migrant workers trimming cannabis, you know, like slave labor. I mean, they were told all this, you know, BS. And so, I mean, the, the federal marshal was embarrassed by the time he left. The first time, he was apologizing to us profusely. I mean, he was uh, hat in hand, like, embarrassed, like, wishing they had never come. Uh, I'm, just imagining, I'm just imagining Narcos, Alaska. <laughs> I mean, he found a greenhouse full of tomatoes and a fish rack and a family on a homestead, you know, with yeah. a dog team. 
I was. I remember my brother was really worried they were going to shoot the dog, mm. uh, or the dogs. Uh, but we had them all tied up by the time they landed. So, but uh, <laughs> had them and everything else tied up by the time we landed. <laughs> <laughs> so. Sorry about that. Oh, you're you're all good. <laughs> Nick's getting it. cold. It's, it's cold. So, but yeah, that record. story that story could go on. There's a whole lot to that story I can tell you. So we're in the break room uh, right now, and the break room is outside, and it's cold because we're in Alaska. By the way, um, 15 degrees out here. I learned that outside I, restricted. Right. <laughs> yeah, this is this is personal property. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gotta be very clear about these things. Um, so, um, so, since we've gone well, since we've gone uh, legal in in the states, since we've gone recreational and it's become a taxable industry, um, you've gone and, and you've gotten to to speak to a lot of different communities. Some probably that haven't gone legal, um, somewhere they're they're still in a state of prohibition. Maybe some places it's a fresh market. Um, what are some of the things that, that you've learned that you've been able to share uh, over the, the four or five years since uh, legislation has passed? Oh, gosh, I would say, you know, a lot of what you see is uh, sort of the people that kept the plant alive during Prohibition and were making sort of possibly a meager living on it, you know, in small segmented communities all across the country, sort of a really interesting economic study could be done on that really because um, there's not a lot of systems like that although I guess it's not unlike any other sort of underground black market system uh, but most of those people get crushed that's one of the big takeaways I mean you know the hopes and dreams of the California folks that were doing it and they were even a lot of them doing it quote-unquote right because they were at least getting their um, you know local government uh, permits because California was doing that and allowing it and if the local go government was giving the permit then the state wasn't going to come in and raid you right uh, well all those people that were doing that most of them didn't make it into the state system um, because of the burden of cost and um, well I guess that's it I mean it was mainly the burden of cost uh, and, and so that was that's probably one of the biggest things I've learned is it's a, it's a huge change um, <clears throat> other thing I've learned is it's great to be uh, in Alaska. I think Alaska's uh, done a lot of things right. Um, you know, we didn't open it up to where we're all owned by Canadians. You know, Art and I could be, you know, mid-level or maybe even high-level, yay, cultivators working for a Canadian or a European or a Colorado company, you know, quite easily if the regs had been written a little bit differently. And while some people think that, you know, free market is the ultimate way and we should have just opened it wide up like Nevada because that's what brings in the ultimate most amount of money the fastest early on to the state, which might be arguable. Um, I'm glad my family has a license. I'm glad we're growing and paying our taxes. Um, I'm glad that a family that has been doing this for generations is still providing um, cannabis to the people uh, because we're good at it. And a lot of the folks that have tried to do it in this country as it's gone legal aren't necessarily good at, at it. And I think uh, good cultivators should keep making uh, good medicine for the people. Uh, but I think that has been uh, made extremely difficult. Um, so what do you think is, um, is, is the force behind it being difficult? I mean, 
Oh, regulation. Okay. It doesn't. Regulation always drives it towards big business, right? Almost always. I've never. I mean, it's just rare that it goes any other way. So, um, regulation immediately makes it so that the small, you know, artisanal producer, and I don't even care if it's regulated, unregulated, for the purposes of the quality and and you know the discussion of size, it, that that matters very little. But you know, your small small artisanal producer gets crushed in these large, regulated, taxed environments where. You know, new regulation sets come out every month where, you know, I don't know how many hours of my management time I spend uh, a month just making sure we're up to date on the new regs that come out each month. But, you know, that kind of stuff, a small company where you've got one, one or two people trying to, to run a small cultivation, they can barely keep up with the trimming, they can barely keep up with the transport and the sales, you know, they fall behind on researching the regs. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's tough. It makes it so that it goes to um, larger businesses. So you either have to have those small artisanal folks who know what they're doing, who are willing to take that leap and grow and to get to that economy of scale so they can compete, um, or, or they get pushed out. And a lot of the times it's the second, uh, which is, you know, I mean, it's a standard part of change, but, you know, that is one of the things I've noticed for sure. <laughs> and it's in a lot of markets. It's not just one market where you see it. So what advice would you say, give to an emerging market? Say Oklahoma is a, is a perfect example. They've got medicinal now. Um, I'm sure in the next couple of years they'll, they'll have full recreation. What would you say to Oklahomians or, or Arkansansians? Well, the biggest mistake Alaska made, because Alaska did a lot of things right. Um, you know, we did a lot of things right. Um, but the biggest mistake Alaska made was that, you know, the original voter initiative um, the taxation piece was written wrong. And arguably, the writer of the initiative did it because it made it pass, because it's a high tax. But it's flat tax, and it's, and it's on the raw pro producer end. And so um, it, it creates, uh, it hinders uh, raw, raw pro material production. Um, you know, there's ex any number of extractors in the state that aren't getting enough material coming their way right now. Um, it's hindering their growth. It hinders... Um, the growth of the um, farms and, you know, more jobs they could provide for people. Um, so that's probably one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give to an emerging market is don't overtax it to start with or you're going to kill your market. If you're actually wanting a healthy economy and you actually want to compete with the black market, because right now we haven't even taken half of the black market here in Alaska. We've probably taken 40%. And it's because I have an $800 a pound tax that I have to pay. It's a flat tax. It doesn't matter what. I charge the retail. I still pay that $800 a pound tax. And it's hard for me to compete with the guy who doesn't have to follow the regs or pay workman's comp um, or pay those taxes. Or pay their taxes. Um, and so, you know, I'm not complaining or whining. Don't get me wrong. We're going to beat those guys in the wrong, long run. We sell all of the beautiful, wonderful, lab-tested um, consistent product that we can grow and people love it um, and there's a lot of great reasons to shop at the retails but I'm telling you we've only taken less than half of it at this point in Alaska and we would have taken most of it if it, the tax burden was, low, <coughs> was lower so to those emerging markets um, to those regulators keep the tax burden low you can always raise it later and to the you know the, the businessmen doing the negotiating do not argue for a higher position, argue as low as you can go because it's almost impossible to lower it later. <laughs> <laughs> so is that what we're, what we're seeing now? Um, because the, the $800 a pound tax is, it, it, it is burdensome to, uh, to the cultivator. And it, I think it does stifle. It's 30%. It's Most yeah. cultivators are paying um, at 30 to 37% okay. tax burden to the state. 
That's before they pay the federal government, before they pay any of their expenses, anything. It started out eh, somewhere between 15 and 20 percent, you know, but as the price dropped, that's where it's at. So you can see the, the issue that creates. So yeah, keep the taxes lower. If we tried to get it changed and fixed in this state, but um, it, frankly, the industry itself couldn't come to an agreement on it. So we're kind of stuck with where it's at. So is there any kind of union or any kind of, um, I mean, is there, um, I don't know, like a coalition of... You mean like of, a of growers co- guild? Well, yeah, why not? Why not call it a growers guild? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's, the, uh, there's the Alaska Marijuana Industry Association, and they've done a wonderful job. Um, yeah. I shouldn't toot their horn too hard just because I was one of the ones who helped found it, but um, great organization. Uh, I was working with them to, on the tax issue, and we were just unable to come to an agreement. Um, you know, all the mem- industry members, the retails don't want the tax on their end. Um, from my perspective, it's always, you know, you pay it. I mean, Bill, you pay the tax. You know that. When you buy our weed, you pay the tax, Like, right? It doesn't matter if I hold it and give it to the state or, you know, yeah, like the market consumer ultimately holds it and gives it to the state from his retail. Either way, yeah. Bill paid the tax when he bought the joint, right? That's, yeah. that's how that works. So it's just... In, in, invariably, taxation is probably one of the most, you know, guttural and emotional topics you can discuss with business folks. Um, and so right now we've got a current system where us cultivators are paying the full burden of the state excise tax, and it's unpopular from the retail perspective to change that. Um, although I will say that close to half of the retails I spoke to understood it and said they'd be all right with it, and, and some of a good portion of them even agreed with it, but, you know... Still half or more disagreed with it and didn't want it, um, which, you know, from another perspective, I serve them, you know, I serve the retails. And so I don't want to push so hard for something that they don't want, um, at least not too hard. I mean, I pushed a little hard, but they understand. I mean, I, I genuinely thought it was the best thing for the whole industry. We've got manufacturers here. They don't have enough product. Um, retails, you know, they have okay product but they don't have as much consistent product as they should and they're buying some flour that should never go on their shelves that should have gone to extraction right because it wasn't quite good enough um and that situation is because of the taxation and if you had that you know percentage based you know at least change it to percentage based that's the big problem with flat tax right but it would be even better in my opinion if it was percentage based and on the retail end because the retailer just collects it straight from Bill when Bill buys the joint. <laughs> Otherwise, I, I have an artificial liquidity as a cultivator that I carry because by the time my product gets to market, because I'm doing you know net arrangements, meaning basically I serve as kind of like a bank for retailers in a lot of cases, a lot of the times I've paid full taxes on all of my product before I've ever seen any profit from it. And so... If Mark at Red Run at his, his retail would collect that tax from Bill when he bought the joint, I would never have to bear that artificial liquidity and I could build more greenhouses and Nick could hire more people. We mm. could make more um, product that yep. Red Run and good titrations could extract. <laughs> Or whoever else, Secret Garden, whoever else. I don't want to play too many favorites here. <laughs> so, so not asking you to pick favorites, but do you, um, do you have a, a current favorite? Uh, you, you've always got products coming out. You, whether it was the Saint Val or the Valentine's Day gift pack, I'm sure you probably got something 
cool coming up for St. Patty's Day that's in some weird minimal run. Anyway, like, what's next on It's hard. We might not have a special one for that. We just figure it's green <laughs> already, and <laughs> everybody knows you smoke weed and drink beer on St. Patty's Day. Boom point two. <laughs> well, boom point two. Ah. Talk yeah. to me about the boom point two. Boom point two. We, uh, we are, we're <laughs> our boom blunts were on hold. You know, we're, we're changing who we're working with and, you know, learning. learning. Everybody's learning. Everybody's learning. And... Um, we're really close. Well, I think we'll be on the next uh, next ballot to get it approved and everything, and move forward with the uh, new boom months, backwoods booms, boom fibers, and the boom fibers move faster than anything we've ever we've ever put out. We have never uh, met the demand for those, so we're excited to be able to manufacture at capacity and just see you know what actually is the demand. You know, it's nice to have a product where the the ceiling kind of isn't there yet we didn't realize we don't know how much of those we can sell so yeah. we're looking forward to getting those back to the consumers because the consumers have been patient they keep asking we're very thankful for their patience the, and success, <laughs> the success of the first boom once uh, did two things you know it put a great product out there for everybody to uh, to experience and it also taught us a lot in this manufacturing process can you talk a little bit about what boom uh, boom blunts are for a listener? Uh, well, a boom bl- it's a CO two concentrate okay. extracted into a uh, Greatland Ganja pre roll. Whether it be one of our backwoods blunts, which are a tea cone, tea premium wrap, flour, and um, it's all and we always use straight flour. The bottom of the bag is the kind of stuff that we put into our pre rolls. We usually, um, if it's labeled top cola, that means it came from a hand trimmed top cola bud, and all the stems pulled out of it before even. And the CO2 extract will be pulled from our plants as well. Um, and oftentimes we'll do same strain, meaning, you know, we'd send over um, the extract material to uh, the extractor and they would um, run it through the, their CO2 process, pulling off the terpenes from the natural plant, holding it aside. Um, and then after it's gone through um, its cleaning process, then they'd reintroduce the terps from that actual natural plant. So then you got your PE, your Pineapple Express CO2 extract, uh, that you then, um, we roll there at Great Land Ganja, you know, whatever blunt or point fiber, which are our half gram uh, premium flower joints, um, we roll those and make sure they have the proper channel in, 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 the, uh, in the blunt, and then we send it over and they get injected, and it's just a beautiful combination. Um, you could literally, you know, dab some extract here and then be smoking a joint, and you get a different um, sort of a, uh, a buzz from um, the boom product. It you know, seems when you combine, when you, when you, it's in, they're infused, you're smoking them at exactly the same time. Um, there's nothing quite like it. Uh, learned it from my dad. It's a cocktail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, just like, exactly, it's just like a cocktail. Uh, it's a cocktail of weed. Um, and we, he always did it after harvest um, from like scissor hash or finger hash. He would just roll out a, a thin pencil lead and put it inside a joint. Um, and and he, uh, it, he, he realized that it would like, you know, like he said, it would treat him better than if he just smoked it in a pipe. <laughs> and it's separate from the joint, you know. Uh, and then we went to Jamaica when I was a kid, uh, seed hunting and whatnot. And um, the Rastafarians there would send the um, younger guys up into the hills, which is where the uh, weed crops were, and in the early morning because it sucks to go up there in the heat of the day. It's super hot. And they have them rub their hands all over the top colas to get the hash off. Guys would come back down, they'd rub their hands over the tables and big ropes of hash would come off and the old Rastafarians would take kind of the lower grade flour because they didn't really have sensimilia there. It was all, most of it was going to seed, so the flour wasn't great quality. And so they would roll these huge spliffs with that big rope of hash in the center. 
and they called it a boom. And so that's where I got the term boom was from Jamaica. And, uh, and my dad started calling it boom after that. But he, oh, he was like, wait, you guys do that too? And they, and, he, and they were like, you know what a boom is? And, well, he didn't really know the term, but he knew what they were doing. DMX <laughs> and Sean Price and I think it was Mr. Wayne on the, on the Belly soundtrack have a sort of dance hall hip-hop track called Here Comes the Boom. Now it makes perfect sense. <laughs> it, it might. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, holy shit. Well, you know, it's uh, um, wasn't Sean wasn't Sean Price was the you know uh, Sean Paul. Oh, it, it, yeah. it, if, we had a, if we had a picture of a sailboat, I could show you what the boom is. But you got your mast, yeah, and then you got your boom, and so that's why that you know it, it's surrounded by water, obviously okay. Jamaica, and so they they called it a boom because it reminded them of the boom on a boat. Oh, I, I'm just saying that in this rap song, they were probably talking about passing. They probably were. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that makes perfect. Yeah. We didn't invent. We did not invent boom. We uh, we we coined it and uh, trademarked it in Alaska. But <laughs> however, if we had DMX up here, and it's always a, it's also a, it's always a possibility. Let's bring him up. We could pass the boom. <laughs> let's, do that. let's do it. All right, yeah, let's um, do it. I want to know if he's using the term in the same way. I'm so curious. I'm I'm really okay. So <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into this one a little bit and have a better answer. Uh, what is it? The study of language uh, entomology. Entomology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So there's but there's enough like rap nerd resources out there. Websites like Genius.com where you can kind of research and dig into like what this lyric actually means, and it'll provide a link to an article or something. It's old school medicine, though. That's for sure. You know the technique. The boom technique. It, it's um, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a nice, like a, a beautiful weld, or like someone who knows what they're doing. Like whatever the craft is, you can tell when you see it. Like this person knew what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's not, uh, it's not always easy to transfer the knowledge, but uh, with some time and training, um, we've certainly got folks around here that have gotten really good at a lot of the things that we do. So. Um, got a great crew here. Everybody here serves a, such an integral, per, uh, important purpose. How much of the growing technique has changed for you uh, since you know the the the, uh, the the unregulated market versus now? You know, a lot. I mean, a lot of basic. I mean, science doesn't change, right? The, you know, the the plant doesn't care that you have the license on the wall. Um, neither do the microbes in the ground. And I mean, a lot of what we do is farm microbes. I mean, you know. Thank you, Jeff Lowenthal's for the term, and, and maybe he didn't come up with it, but that's where I learned it, and he's, a lot of our knowledge comes from him. But, um, you know, we, the, the microbes are grow, uh, create the stuff that the plant wants, and, and we sort of, like, create the environment for the microbes and when they, with the organic. Um, that, that part doesn't change. Some of the techniques change. We did, used a lot more fish emulsion when I was a kid on the Yukon, um, just because of what we had access to and what we were doing at the time. It all uh, meshed together. We were using dog teams. Uh, feeding them with dog salmon, eating king salmon for ourselves, lots of fish guts, 55-gallon um, drums, and you know you get yourself a cycle to where you got three years worth going because you're letting it uh, um, uh, compost over time. Um, really good product, but you know that's not what we're doing here. But we do use a lot of the same things. I mean, we were, we're using locally produced um, when we created these original beds. We used Oh, almost entirely locally produced stuff from fish meal, crab meal, local peat, local uh, sandy loam, um, just down down the line. Um, so a lot of that, that, that's like I said, science doesn't change uh, with the piece of paper. Um, you know, as far as growing techniques, um, there are some, uh, some big changes, though, with scale, right? Um, and so we scaled up a lot, a whole lot, right? 
because we're just, you know, little small home growers before this. So, you know, with upscaling comes the need for automation if you're going to be efficient and competitive. Uh, comes the need for uh, SOPs, for human resources, all of those things, um, and, unless you're just running a really small grow. Uh, um, and, and if you don't have those things and do those things, you're going to crash and burn. Um, so the growing technique has changed in that we've implemented more autom automation uh, than we used to use, and we're having to deal with a whole lot more people. Um, people are everything, um, both, you know, at work and not at work in my philosophy, but, you know, um, to our team, they're everything. It's our tribe, you know. <laughs> uh, my, my current passion is all the folks. Um, I, my, I started this passion with a, a passion for cannabis, and I, I still have that passion, but I also have an equally strong passion now for making sure that my, my tribe's taken care of. It's not a very big one, but each one is super important to the world, and we want to you know, make sure all those, their families do well. So, um, uh, The growing style, uh, back to your initial question, um, it's mainly economy of scale. Yeah, it's automation, it's, it's human resources, it's that you're having to train um, these core things that you learned basically as a kid growing up, farm style, you're having to translate that into how do you train this in a modern economy to somebody that you just hired to come on, you know, and they don't understand why you don't want to pay them a large, oh wait, I came to work for a weed farm, don't can I get a big paycheck? No, you don't understand. We're going to invest hundreds or thousands of hours into training you what we know. You have to decide, you have to start at a low pay scale or we can never afford to do this ever, right? You know, I learned this from my dad growing up on the farm. So now we have to translate all that to like trying to teach them to do that here. And so that's one of the biggest challenges and probably one of the biggest, um, you know, when you say growing technique, I mean, that's kind of expanding beyond growing technique, but it is. Those people are now doing what we were doing because we can't do it all because we're doing it way bigger. Um, and so that is a technique, right? You know, our growing technique now is HR, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and and uh, trying to get them to to uh, learn techniques that we have learned multi generational. And also, also, I would really, really like to point out, incorporate different uh, ideas and knowledge and insanely awesome skills that they have that we don't. I mean, our biggest job when I say HR is. You know, seeing the um, um, seeing the talents and skills that our people have, and making sure that they're given the tools and put in the right positions to do the right jobs to um, utilize those. And a lot of those are t skills and talents that you know I don't have. I mean, we've got folks here that are uh, way better at uh, HR or, or I mean uh, customer service than I am. We've got the folks here that are building you know computerized systems from scratch, touchscreen computer systems all the way from scratch. You know, automated systems because. All the you know store-bought pre-built ones none of them quite serve our needs uh, so uh, that uh, that kind of stuff doesn't happen if you're just doing it on the small scale so that that uh, um, economy of scale is what has been the biggest change to our growing style but at its core it's the same it and the reason it's mostly the same is because we're concentrating on the utmost quality and we still you know the same thing as you know when I was growing in a greenhouse on the banks of the Yukon it, it's the same principle applies I, I don't send that out my door if I wouldn't smoke it with one of my kids' grandmas. And it's the same now. Fair enough. Do you have a particular uh, favorite product of your own? Uh, Pineapple Express uh, flower is one of my favorites because it's an, uh, what I would call operational, right? Um, you know, I don't like to do a lot of pharmaceuticals, so for me, um, dealing with pain relief and uh, stress management and just, um, you know, hey, maybe the fact that I'm a high-strung individual, I'll go ahead and admit it, uh, is, uh, is it's very helpful to have that Pineapple Express, and I'll 
smoking in the morning with my coffee. And hey, there's not a lot of uh, cannabis out there you can do that with. There's quite a few strains. If you smoked it in the morning with your coffee, that would be your morning and evening. Um, and, and with pineapple, uh, it's not that way. So to me, that's a special strain because I, you know, I can have my uh, pain relief mellow myself out so Nick and everybody else can work around me without me <laughs> driving them crazy with my high strungness and um, I can still do math and talk and, and operate uh, and, and I'll admit I I, I like uh, that Pineapple Express hash especially when George over there at Red Run uh, runs the hash oil there so um, that's uh, that's a real good combo as well um, especially some um, diamonds and terp sauce uh, it, it's just uh, dynamite oh yeah uh, I make great stuff over there um, Nick, do you have a particular favorite from the, the Great Land Ganja umbrella? Well, well umbrella? you know, when it comes to strain, it's the LOG times Purple Kush. Every time every time we grow it, in every single different kind of method we grow it in, it's just an amazing flavor. It doesn't grow big like Pineapple Express. Pineapple Express, you know, you'll have a six-foot plant there that you got to, that Micah has to wrestle to, to get down. And the LOGs, the, you know, they'll be the size of this this chair right here, tall. And it'll be just solid, hard nugs, and it's got a real fruity aroma. Bunch of little purple bushes. Yep, little purple <laughs> bushes. And um, my favorite product is um, the Backwoods Blunt. And that's a, that's a cone-shaped blunt that's wrapped in a tea leaf. Not to be confused with the palm leaves. I like the palm blunts too, but the, the, the tea leaves are where it's at for me. Backwoods. Historically speaking, one of my favorite Greatland uh, ganja was was the Nikiski strain. Like that was mm. for me. That Great was, smell. Mm. A hint of cheese in the smell, maybe. Mm -hmm. Is that what's in that Nikiski? I'm not sure. Know, I'm not uh, sure. That was straight out of Nikiski. It was popular, you know, before uh, licensure, and um, and uh, was it? Gosh, was it? Uh, Seward that it sold a lot in, or Valdez, one of those two places. That Once it, people get a taste for it, it's different. For me, it's like fruity pebbles and steak sauce. <laughs> but we've got it still exactly. No, it's savory. Uh, it makes me hungry. Oh, now I want some. Uh, fruity pebbles no, and steak sauce. No, that's out there. You're in Lustville. Well, that's still on the menu. So good. It's, uh, good. Good. If I'm, if I'm saving it for the fans of, uh, of the Nikiski string. There's yeah. only a few Alaskan names that we have like that, and they're from, you know, those uh, previous to to licensure strains that folks had kept going in, in the state um, and that people liked and like, worked good for them. And uh, the funny thing about those strains are those, you don't have the lineage. You're like, well, yeah, well, this is a Nikiski strain. Yeah, well, that's it. We don't know anything else other than, oh, it smells maybe a little faintly of cheese and we like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and other traits that we see. But unlike, say, you know, our space rip, we could tell you, oh, yeah, that was bred by sub cool TGA genetics out of California and that is just a phenotype of Jack the Ripper which is you said it the other day okay uh, Jack the Ripper is um, space dude which is the male version of space queen and they made the little cross with uh, Jack's cleaner yeah Jack's cleaner is um, Jack's special so as you know, as you can see, we have a lot more information on some of our lineages, but then some of these Alaskan strains, like Nikiski strain or it's, it's Talcatan like getting strain, a puppy, we don't really you know. <laughs> yes, it's, it's like getting a like this is a corgi. <laughs> by, by the way, I've got at least two dogs uh, from Nikiski. We have no idea what they are. But they're probably great pretty, dogs, or they're great dogs. Uh, one of them's like part pit bull, and the other one's part something else. Mixed breeds are my favorite. I think maybe with cannabis too. Uh, because <laughs> it's a cocktail. It's you're you're you're. I mean, you're getting something very specific getting that you might not be again. ever be getting again. You know, like that. Sure. I mean, from my perspective, not knowing the lineage only matters so much. I mean, I wouldn't want all my stock to be that way. 
um, because that lineage means something to me, and I know you know further back where it came from. But um, it that stayed there, and people took risk and expense to continue to propagate it. So there was something special about it, right? And we think there's something special about it too. So that's worth maintaining. See, yeah. I had never really thought about it that way. Like these these dudes and these guys, gals, you know, they were they were taking real risks with their lives, with their freedom. Sure. Um, so. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I guess if, if it's important enough to... If Gorilla Glue 4 was better to keep around than 2 or 6, then maybe we should try 4 a little bit more. Um, by the way, a little bit of cool cannabis trivia. I like talking about this one. Um, Elias Thoreau. He is a mixed martial artist. He was also uh, the ring man for Invicta, which is a female fighting... Uh, organization, sort of like the female UFC. He is the first sanctioned uh, athlete for cannabis uh, for or for cannabis use. Oh, he's right got now. a therapeutic oh. use exemption for cannabis. They're not gonna pop him for doping. No, no, no. Yes. Yes. yeah. So, well, it's, it's huge. Congrats. I mean, break the stigma. We've report after report from you know uh, different football players and different other uh, well, even medical professionals is showing that um, cannabis has a heck of an effect on traumatic brain injury. Um, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I, I can tell you, I love uh, one skiing while I'm high, getting high while I'm skiing, getting high after I'm skiing. So I, I just, um, you know, I don't see the, the real harm. <laughs> and and I, I've never felt like I was going to out ski my brother if I got really high. So I don't think you're going to give yourself an advantage if that's the other thing you're, they're worried about. So I, I think they're all right with this one. I think we're okay here, you know. I think they ought to make it a thing. <laughs> Didn't I read somewhere that the professional baseball now doesn't test their players? That, that makes perfect sense. Um, so I had the opportunity when, uh, when I worked at the radio station to interview Jim McMahon, a uh, former quarterback of the Chicago Bears. Awesome. Also outspoken cannabis act, uh, advocate. It was during the uh, 2016 oh, fight to keep it legal. Um but yeah, he was he was talking about you know inflammation and and how it you know it's it's absolutely been beneficial for him with concussions, yeah. um, and so I think that we need we need people who are out there who are who are you know who are who are a face people that they or who they're familiar with saying no like this is helpful for me and this is this is you know medicine, and then treat it as such and again go back to breaking a, a, a stigma. You guys were pirates. You guys were pirates for most of your life. Oh, and those guys, those folks that are, you know, taking their, you know, um, uh, sort of sports fame or whatever they're doing, whatever they've already had, their sort of capital that they have in society, yeah. and then afterwards, you know, standing up and saying, oh, hey, yeah, this cannabis is working for me, and yeah, we should be talking about this, and we should be making this change. I mean, that's that's great. I mean, they're using that capital, uh, you know, that's that's awesome uh, form of activism, because they've built that capital, and they have such a reach, and people pay attention. I mean, you know, sports is huge in this country, so that gets into, you know, a lot of hearts and minds that, you know, uh, uh, kids from the Yukon can never reach. So, <laughs> uh, so it's kind of cool to see um, enough, enough, of, enough of them have access to it and, and be able to use it and enough states change rules and regulations enough to where more of the, uh, more of the, you know, the higher profile folks are feeling more comfortable um, doing that because that just kind of snowballs, right? You know, then we'll be seeing quite a bit more uh, normalization and then, you know, eventually I'll be filling out FDA paperwork, which I'm not entirely excited about, Bill, but um, I think that might be where this is all heading, and hopefully uh, I'm not, at this point, I, I, 
I'm the guy who said I wanted it legal, and now I'm sitting here telling you, well, geez, it almost seems like it is legal, and do I really want to report to the FDA? So I guess I'll just say that's a whole other topic, and boy, I have mixed feelings about that. Yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> that it, I mean, when you start talking about um, the, pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical industry uh, and their advances, You trust them, right? Uh, yeah, clearly, clearly. <laughs> Uh, they're, they're, those are my peoples. Um, I, we have the, we have the Skakel family, um, from Purdue Pharma sending emails amongst each other, uh, talking about how great it is that they're selling the, the drug that people are ODing on and they manufactured the anti-overdose yeah. uh, drug as well. Like, like the, this is great. We're getting both ends of it. This yeah. Fantastic. This is, what a, what a beautiful thing. <laughs> Um, how blessed we are. I don't know. I haven't done the research myself. I, I don't like my own interactions with pharmaceutical companies from a personal level. I can tell you that. But <laughs> I mean, some some uh, medications are absolutely uh, necessary. Some you know, um, but not all medicine is medicine, and not all things being presented as medicine. I mean, we're, a lot of what we're taking in our bodies is uh, is just shit that's sold to us between. Uh, you know, I wish, on TV ads. I wish there was a fix. I wish I had an idea for a, a good, a, a good fix, or to, you know, for our medical system, um, because <sighs> we're kind of a lot of it's just kind of a problem body, right now. No, yeah. Well, people have to learn how to do it mostly the old way. I, I think because right now what we're being told is there's different classes of care, and you know that uh, depending on which piece of paper you present is going to determine which care you qualify for. Um, because hey, most of us don't have the money to pay whatever bill it would be if we weren't using that piece of paper I mean it's <coughs> yeah it, that I would say that and to, to me as far as like you know if I wanted to go off and be an activist I mean we we'd activism when it's over we've normalized at this point my problems are the same as any other small business person's problem if I was gonna be an activist I'd go be an activist about um, insurance companies and uh, medical uh, billing agencies and <laughs> and uh, uh, oh, industrial prison complex, yeah. You know, I think those two are some real huge problems. But, uh, you know, right now we're just, you know, our problems are like business people. Our taxes are too high, you know. Um, HR, it's hard in a small community, you know. There's, there's only so many super talented people, and yeah. you have to go through a lot of folks and a lot of trouble to get one one really, really good talented. You know, so our problems are the same as the cannery up the street probably were 10, 15 years ago or whatever, you know, when fishing was more of a going thing uh, it's barely activism anymore from my perspective uh, now my activism is just sort of defending my tribe's right to continue doing business in a fair way <laughs> so um do you have any concerns uh um, from what you've seen um with cannabis becoming uh, uh legal nationally like any 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 issues that you can foresee Oh, I think it has probably just as much a potential of uh, just sort of, uh, uh, I don't want to say destroying, uh, obfuscating uh, sort of the natural way people have been using the plant for thousands of years as medicine as making it illegal did. Yeah. You know, I think, so I think it's probably just as possible that we lose our natural extraction methods and our natural ways of using this as a treatment um, through this legalization maybe even more so than we did through it being illegal. Uh, people kept it alive pretty well, uh, and by it, I mean the culture of using it as a natural medicine. They kept that alive pretty well um, in the unregulated environment, and I think it's got a real chance of, um, in, in with modern humans and modern medicine, and, and if 
if, if it goes too much in the pharmaceutical direction, possibly might lose a lot of knowledge. You know, now I hope not. I mean, hopefully the same people that would shepherd, shepherd it along when they, when it was illegal, will do it now. I mean, right now we've got microbreweries. We're not, you know, all destined to drink, um, you know, super large uh, box company beer if we don't want to. And hey, some people like that beer, and that's cool. They have access to that too, of course. But like, I'm really glad I can go get a microbrew. And I think, you know, hopefully um, if folks like me are, yeah, exactly. Heck yeah. <laughs> Love that stuff. Polaris IPA. Yeah. I was just uh, <laughs> there a couple hours ago. I was, I was there yesterday. I, got yeah, I think that's what will happen. I'm hoping that, you know, I'm hoping that Red Run Extraction and, and you know, Great Land Ganja will be those sort of um, types of micro businesses that will hold up even though the pharmaceutical companies are going to be growing fields of it in Canada. I'm yeah. making white pills out of it, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that you, Bill, will, you know, not want as many of the white pills and will keep wanting our really cool products because that's your traditional way of using it. Um, and I also think that you would find if you tried a lot of the white pills that the pharmaceutical company is going to come out with, that they're not going to be balanced holistic medicines that you used to that would come from us because they're going to be isolating stuff down to core elements that are just not going to treat you the same as, you know, our, com- our holistic products that have you know, the whole plant content in them. Sort of like a... But that's just a prediction. I'm hoping that that's my happy prediction is that, yes, there's going to be a pharmaceutical element, but that there's still going to be, you know, a craft um, cannabis uh, state-by-state market as well. By the way, full-spectrum CBD is the way to go. Doug, CBD isolates cool, but full-spectrum. You, if, if you're you not worried about a drug term. test, then take full-spectrum. Yeah. If, you, if you have to pass a, a P-test, then... then go with what you got to go with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't want anyone to lose their job. But that being said, if if you're buying a CBD, if the person at the gas don't buy your don't buy your CBDs at a gas station. By the way, don't buy your boner pills at a gas station either. <laughs> if they're selling it at a gas station, if you got to get it from the person at the register at the gas station, it's not fucking good for you. All right. My it's, wife keeps telling me not to buy food there either. It's falling under the same category, isn't it? Well, it depends. <laughs> you know, like if uh, so. What is it? Only gas? Can we only buy gas at the gas station, Bill? <laughs> Darn it. Hot dog. You can get hot dogs. Like, oh. tell me where else you can get a nation's hot dog around here. In Anchorage, so Masubi, <laughs> and it's one of the most amazing things in the world. It's, you know, fried spam, teriyaki yeah. rice wrappers. Yeah. You can you can find gas like some Masubi gas station gold. Worth it. I you know you can find some gas station gold out yeah. there. There's there's definitely it's all about the to be had. It's yeah, like it's all about the person running it. Doing absolutely, hundred percent. Um, you know, there's a lot of character to that, and there's character to going uh, to a microbrewery mm-hmm. versus a, a going on a tour of fucking Budweiser. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, there's something that has some character. There, there's uh, somebody who's just happy that you're there. You know, like if you go and you visit the uh, the brewery at Budweiser, aside from your tour guide, I'm pretty sure you know no one else is going to be happy to see you. Yeah, but well, there's something true about small batch too. You yeah. know. There's I mean, you know, more I, to I, it. There, it, there is definitely something about small batch and that that care over something smaller. Um, and, and we work really hard at Great Land as we um, grow, pun intended, and, and you know, double our production every so much of a time frame. Um, one of our big points that we concentrate on, along with efficiency, is maintaining that quality as you get bigger, and because there is something to small batch, and I don't know at what point. You know, is it that, you know, once you've got hundreds of acres of weed that you're never going to get it to be that quality? You know, I don't I don't really know. I mean, maybe it's that you just have to have the right managers for each square foot and the right cultivators and you can still maintain that. I don't, I don't really know for sure. Um, I know that uh, most of my favorite, 
you know, microbreweries and, um, you know, they're not huge. They're not huge. And I don't know that we want, want to get huge. You know, we don't, we have a vision here at Greatland of um, serving up our product, you know, in other states once that becomes legal, um, you know, uh, but does that mean we just want to grow forever into, you know, a huge corporation? No, I mean, that's not what we're looking for. You know? We want to keep making good products. We don't want to get big enough to where we lose that quality of the, of the um, small batch and that craft quality. Um, but we would certainly love to um, sell some of our wares, you know, in other states. Um, Alaska's got great branding. Alaska's known for great weed. And um, I think we can easily uh, see it, uh, see Alaskan cannabis in, in other stores once we're able to transfer across borders. So. Um, and do gangbusters in Florida. They, maybe like some old, some old folks. Who are like, man, got this good Alaskan weed. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, like, like folks who you know buy Belgian beer. I don't know if you, if you ever get into Belgian beer. They've got some some great shit. There's stuff called delirium. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the, is that the one with the elephant? That's the one with the elephant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like there's there's something to uh, to be said about something that's exotic. You know, um, something that you don't get very often. And so if it's, it's the same if whether it's good weed or good food. You know, yep. you got to savor it when you've got it. you got to just gotta have the full team, you know. you got to have the full sort of uh, uh, package, meaning you got to you have to be able to maintain that quality, consistency, regulatory compliance, and you have to have the branding, marketing, um, sales, distribution, uh, all of it. Uh, and, you know, there's you see the companies that make that work um, in, in microbrewing, and, and you're starting to see the ones that are making that work in cannabis too. Uh, sort of a gold rush, right? So there's going to be a kind of a big fallout just because it's well usually about half of the businesses who start in small business fail so when you have a bunch of them start at once you see a lot of them fail at once at a certain point right yeah uh, yeah i think that's probably what we're looking at in the next couple of years but uh we're also going to look at a lot of businesses shining too some failing and a lot and some shining so it's positive and negative i guess just like a, a buddhist would say <laughs> um Shit. Well, okay, so I want to, before we wrap up, I do have one thing, because you went back to the tax, very hard to change laws once they're laws. Yep. What's up with edibles? Like, we're stuck at 50 milligrams until the end of time, or what? Uh, I believe they are, they think they delayed it, so I think it's being, I'm not sure if it went, they might have put it back up for public comment. They're examining one to double the limit to 10 from five. Mm. So conceivably, because um, right, we're at five for single dose, right? Yeah. With 10 max for package. So this would conceivably go from 10 to 10 max for package, meaning 10 and 100. Yeah. You know, 10 single dose, 10 100, or 100 in a package. So um, I think there's probably a chance it'll pass. There's good um, precedent for it in other states. Like we've got like the absolute lowest to my knowledge. So I mean, it, it, there's really logical argument to change it. It's already been written. I think it might be out for public comment. They kicked it back out um, for it, and uh, oh, hopefully it'll pass. I mean, it's reasonable, I think. Very reasonable. Yeah. Uh, Very tons of little reasonable. things like that. I mean, that's a pretty big <coughs> one. Though. From a consumer standpoint, that's something consumer notices, right? Yeah. Like, there's, I mean, hundreds of things Nick could talk about all day long about what they should change in the rigs that would make doing business more reasonable and would not, you know, hurt the public's health or safety at all. But... You see things like the dose limit. That's what pops up on the consumer end. And it does matter. I mean, you know, nobody wants to have to eat more cookies than they need. I mean, that's no good for us. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's a bummer.